Hey, Andrew. Hey, Kilroy. on for a few minutes before we get started. Make sure to tweet out, let everybody know we're here. Hey Max, thanks for joining. We're gonna let the music play a little bit, wait for some folks to come in. Hey MetaMask. Good to see you. Hey, don't hate, celebrate. Good to see you too. Hi, Zilpri. Thanks for joining. Tweet out, let everybody know we're here. I know it's a Friday, so I appreciate everybody being here. <laughs> He's back. Let me add you as a speaker. Hey there, Max. Thanks for getting, I'm glad you were able to get back in. So we'll go ahead and get started and kick things off. Um, welcome everybody to NFTs for Good. I know it's a Friday night or morning or Saturday for wherever you guys might be. Really appreciate you coming. We are a weekly Twitter spaces. We're all about highlighting the builders and founders in the crypto, NFT, and Web3 space. We do this at least once every week. And you can check out the schedule on our website. It is www.bluestudios.io backslash NFTs dash for dash good. And, you know, we know there are tons of stories that come out and talk about some of the not so great aspects of Web3 crypto and NFTs. And we believe if we keep talking about the positive aspects about how the people behind these projects and movements and companies are really trying to make the world a better place through crypto, Web3 and NFTs that we can really elevate the conversation. So with this show and subsequent shows that we do, we'll be highlighting the people and founders um, that also include a social good component in what they're building. And we hope that two things can happen from this conversation. One, we hope that you can connect with another founder and listen about their courageous journey of going from idea to building in public and also be inspired by their story. I know there's some really great people out here building this new internet. You can always check out our upcoming shows and sign up for updates at www.bluestudios.io backslash NFTs dash four 
dash good. Quick disclaimer that all opinions of the guests or hosts may not reflect the views of Blue Studios and its hosts. This Twitter space is for informational purposes only. And none of the opinions of the show by the host or panelists can be considered investment advice. Please do your own research, be safe, and make sure you talk to any security and investment advisors before um, on figuring out how NFTs and crypto fit into your collectible and ownership portfolio. This show is being recorded so we can have it on our website and other places to promote future shows. A little bit about me quickly and then we'll hand it over um, to Max to quickly introduce himself. I'm Kelly, founder of Blue Studios. We built a community around education, family, and Web3. We employ a learn-to-earn, play-to-earn model, leveraging our adorable robot, Bella, who's like our Mickey Mouse. And a big part of what we do is about coming up with innovative approaches to educating and inspiring families to learn, earn, and play together, but also to onboard more families in a safe way to Web3. Super happy to be here today. One of the reasons why I am so excited um, to have our guests on is that I'm always really wanting to highlight stories and people behind crypto web three nft DeFi, um all that stuff is fast paced and it's 24 7 we work super hard but sometimes it's nice to kind of slow things down and not go at the speed of the twitter feed and actually just slow it down and dig deep and talk to amazing guests like max today so with that, um, I'll quickly pass it over to Max. You can quickly intro yourself. I know we'll dig deeper, um, but I figure you can just give a quick quick one to two sentence intro. Hi, Kelly. Thank you for having me to here today. I got to say, I was going through your bio, and you have the coolest bio. I don't think I could top that. But um, I'm Max. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I've been working in this space since 2016, not full-time. I used to run a cryptocurrency mining company back in the day. Um, as of 2020, I've been working closely with some DeFi protocols, helping them figure out where to introduce fees into their ecosystems or how to restructure their ecosystems to create more sustainability around their governance tokens. Um, and as of about last year, oh, just over a year ago now, uh, I started working on Solon with my co-founder, Ben Blue, who I met uh, while I was working at a government contractor. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, so we'll start, we'll get, we'll start digging deeper then. So we'll start with your origin story. Um, would love to hear how you got started in, the, in this space and also kind of what inspired you to go from, Hey, I'm fascinated about this space to I'm dedicated myself 24 seven to making this happen. I hate to admit it, but the honest truth is I originally got involved in this space for absolute, like, money reasons. Uh, <laughs> my my older brother at the time, this was back in 2016, uh, was like, hey, Bitcoin's going to be the next big thing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I didn't really care about it, to be honest with you. But um, he was very much a business savvy, business savvy person, and I was very much a, a closeted technical nerd. Um, so we had a good partnership. We started a, a cryptocurrency mining company. I developed all the technology, built the computers, and he handled the business side. And that's really how I got involved. Uh, at the time then, sure, I, I had a very adept understanding of how the blockchain worked and functioned, but I didn't really think far outside of the ecosystem of Bitcoin and not even into the, the whole ecosystem of Bitcoin. I was only at the level of the blockchain and consensus. I wasn't thinking at all about the possibility 
of what people could build on top of these blockchains. And it wasn't really until the pandemic happened um, in 2020 where I got really bored. And to be honest with you, I, I took the time to not only commit my funds into the Ethereum ecosystem, because that's a great way to become involved and to actively learn, but I immersed myself into all sorts of communities where I learned a, a ton from a bunch of different groups of people. And that's when I really became popular, uh, pa sorry, passionate about this space because I really learned of the possibilities of what you could create using smart contract technology and how DeFi and all these other technologies built on top of the blockchain could really help people all over the world. That's super cool. So let's talk about um, Salone, is that, am I pronouncing it right? Salone Labs. Um, so basically I'm gonna read off what uh, how you guys describe it. Um, Salone is a protocol designed to lower the financial barrier to entry for users on Ethereum and layer twos. It's a decentralized order book. So for those who might not understand what that means, can you, can you describe to the audience like what an order book is and why decentralizing order books is needed to lower that financial barrier to entry on ETH and layer twos? So that's a great question. So Solon actually is not a decentralized order book, but it functions just like one uh, as to what the uh, user will see in terms of outputs and inputs. Um, but what is an order book? That is a really good question. Uh, so every centralized exchange in the world, like the New York Stock Exchange, Coinbase, all these extremely popular and high volume exchanges work on what's known as the order book model. The way the order book model works is, let's say I want to um, sell one Ethereum and someone else at some other spot anywhere else in the world wants to buy one Ethereum. My order is submitted to this order book. And then Coinbase, FTX, the New York Stock Exchange, if it stocks, take all these orders and they match them up based on what they think is most efficient and ultimately what's going to result in the fastest and most seamless transaction. Uh, and ultimately, that's an extremely centralized system because all of the assets and all of the cryptocurrency, Coinbase is a primary example, is held by the custodian, which is Coinbase in this example. The way Coinbase is able to operate on an order book model uh, and be profitable is they hold all the cryptocurrency on Coinbase in a handful of wallets. Users don't actually hold their own cryptocurrency. Coinbase holds it on their behalf. They're like a bank. Uh, and the way this order book model works is it's all completely internal. They're not actually, when you say you want to sell one Ethereum and someone else wants to buy one Ethereum, they're not actually moving this Ethereum anywhere. It's actually staying in the same wallets. They're basically moving around these IOUs from wallet to account to account, which costs them nothing because they're, at the end of the day, they're not really transacting on the blockchain. And we all know how expensive gas fees are. And this is how Coinbase, FTX, and all these other decentralized exchanges are able to be profitable with only charging fees of, you know, maybe cents or a few dollars, depending on the exchange, because they're not really transacting this cryptocurrency. They're moving around IOUs from account to account. And when the user cashes out, if they're moving to their default DeFi wallet, as an example, they pay the gas fee. Or if they're just moving back to the bank, there's no fee for Coinbase there. So it's nice and seamless. Uh, and that's how order books work. Awesome. So, and then, so how does that allow for, um, how does, so basically since you're built a protocol um, that shows the order books, correct? Um, it doesn't actually decentralize them. How does that allow for that um, gasless um, smart contract interaction? So swaps, mints, trades, contract deployments, et cetera. So we basically kind of have an order book for um, 
a, I like it is a decentralized order book, but its users are submitting transactions in our ecosystem. And ultimately, our goal is to optimize gas efficiency on the Ethereum blockchain and on these layer twos. Because the reality of it is, is one, the financial barrier to entry to decentralization is way too high. That's the real reason why people use other blockchains, uh, other L1s, like Solana and Avalanche, because the fees are negligible. The reality of it is, is the people who really need decentralization, um, their average GDP per capita is dramatically lower than it is here in the U.S. And they can't afford average transaction fees on Ethereum mainnet of let's say five to fifty dollars, or even on L2s like uh, Optimism of Arbitrum, or fifty cents per transaction. That adds up quickly, and when your average GDP per capita is two thousand dollars or less, that's a significant portion of your net worth. Also, we're never going to get to the point where we see blockchain technology become a part of our daily lives until it's as seamless and as user friendly as like a Twitter, Instagram, or a Facebook. The reality of it is, is no one should need to know that they're using the blockchain when they're using a product. It should just bring these added benefits and services. It should be as easy as any Web2 based application. So our goal with Solon is to move the Ethereum blockchain and layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism a step in that direction. And the way Solon works is since signatures on Ethereum mainnet are actually free, uh, we take advantage of the organization of this ecosystem. And since every single decentralized exchange and decentralized marketplace on Ethereum mainnet balances its prices based on arbitrage, uh, we leverage this to create a really cool ecosystem that basically functions off the inefficiencies and the decentralized space. And the way it works is since signatures on Ethereum mainnet are free, a user can submit a signature containing their parameters for trade. So let's say, just as an example, I want to swap one Ethereum for a thousand US dollar coin. My input would be one ETH. My output would be at least a thousand US dollar coin. And then finally, I'd select a bundler. A bundler is a professional arbitrage trader. When I submit that signature, I gave them permission on my behalf to file that order for me as long as they can give me at least one thousand US dollar coin for my one Ethereum. They can't execute that trade until they can give me at least my 1,000 US dollar coin for my one ETH. So that bundler goes out on the entirety of the blockchain. If it's crypto, they go through Uniswap, they go through Balancer, Bancor, et cetera, through hundreds of different decentralized exchanges. If it's crypto, or sorry, if it's NFTs, they go through OpenSea, Looks Rare, hopefully our platform too, if we have good prices, et cetera. Looking for the best arbitrage opportunities. And in arbitrage opportunities, all it is is the difference in value between market and the price on any other exchange. So let's say they can find an arbitrage opportunity on any random exchange where they can swap one Ethereum for 1,025 US dollar coin. They pay the gas fee on them and the user's behalf, which let's say is roughly $15. They can send the $1,000 that the user requested right over to the user, and then they have $10 left over in profit. This profit they're actually incentivized to share with the user since the user selects whatever bundler they want to work with. Ultimately, the user is most likely to select whatever bundlers have the best returns. So the cool part about our ecosystem is it takes advantage of like the, that, the fact that all these decentralized exchanges are closed ecosystems. All the liquidity on Uniswap is on liquidity, Uniswap only. All the liquidity on OpenSea is on OpenSea only. All the liquidity on LooksRare is on LooksRare only. So the prices vary between all these marketplaces and exchanges. Solon takes advantage of that. Basically, we allow for these arbitrage traders to have a front on liquidity in exchange for being able to execute these arbitrage opportunities and make money doing so. Ultimately, the real trade-off here is time.
if a user wants to be able to place an order and have it be completely free, zero gas, they could be waiting hours, they could be waiting days, they could be waiting weeks. Because that professional arbitrage trader, the bundler, isn't going to execute that order unless they can make money doing it. And they're paying the, the cost of gas on the user's behalf. So ultimately, the spread has to be wide enough for them where they can pay the cost of gas and still be in profit. Um, so if a user wants an order to execute instantly on our ecosystem, they would have to factor in the cost of gas into their order. Uh, but if they're willing to wait, let's say, a few minutes, they could have a 30, 40, 50 percent reduction in gas fees. And the really cool part is since the bundler is paying all the gas fees and the user doesn't have to pay any, this also removes the requirement for users to hold Ethereum and their wallets. So users no longer are forced to hold a volatile asset to transact in the decentralized space. You could pay for everything in US dollar coin if you wanted to, which is you know another big problem for all these people that really need decentralization where they may want to, their main reason may be escaping the government's control, being able to freeze their bank accounts, having to use this local currency that inflates dramatically. They don't want to have to transact in a volatile asset because they are cash dependent. They need their money whenever they need it to pay for food, to pay for rent, whatever it is. And you know what? What better asset than U.S. dollars? Because right now it's the most stable currency in the world. Um, so this brings all this technology to Ethereum mainnet to layer twos. We also inc incorporate the coincidence of wants too. So a coincidence watch would be like if uh, if Kelly wanted to swap one ETH for a thousand US dollar coin and I wanted to swap a thousand US dollar coin for one ETH, that'd be a coincidence of wants. So that's a simple transfer rather than a more complicated smart contract interaction like interacting with a liquidity pool in a decentralized exchange, which uses more gas. So it's all about optimizing the blockchain, really reducing the financial barrier to entry and making all these interactions more seamless. So we're going to redesign the MetaMask, the Web3 wallet, around this new functionality to create a more seamless and more user-friendly ecosystem on Ethereum and Layer 2s, where users can build seamless applications like decentralized Instagrams or Facebook or decentralized games that are just as user-friendly as games and applications in the Web2 space. I love that. I love um, how you're able to analyze so many um, aspects of, like you said, these closed ecosystems and just figure out how to kind of shop the, these orders around to make it easier so that you can find the best price. I guess it's kind of like Priceline. <laughs> that was at least what they were about when they first started. I don't know how expensive Priceline is now. <laughs> it kind of like, makes the real key, honestly, Kelly, is like ultimately as an individual, you will never have one, you you really don't have the time to figure out where you're gonna get the best price for your order. And two, we let's be real, we all go to like Uniswap or just to OpenSea because it's easy. And the, yes, the fees suck, but we don't know the thousands of decentralized exchanges. And also there's plenty of security issues and left, right, and the, the next thing. But when you take all these transactions and you bundle them together, you're dividing gas fees amongst potentially thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of transactions at the same time. And that distributes the cost amongst groups of users. And also you can be assured that a third party that is a professional trader is going to execute your order because ultimately these people are professional arbitrage traders. They've been doing it since the existence of decentralization and that's how they make their money. No, it makes complete sense. It's, um, you know, I think you figured out how to um, give everybody something that they want and, and save uh, the regular user so much money and get, like reduce, like you said, that barrier to entry, which is price. 
Um, so I'll, uh, I have another question for you. So as you mentioned, you've been in the space for quite some time now, and we can tell by the way that you've been able to analyze um, how to really um, optimize the blockchain for the average user. Um, so you mentioned you previously founded a crypto mining company. Um, you got into blockchain technology early on, but then you, like today, you're focusing on decentralized finance protocols. Um, can you explain to the audience like what the difference is between blockchain technology versus decentralized finance protocols? Oh, that is a great question, Kelly. Um, so like blockchain technology is really just the consensus layer. And what we mean when we say that is it's a closed ecosystem. So like you could think of the New York Stock Exchange as its own closed ecosystem. Any company listed on the New York Stock Exchange is there. It's stuck there. They can interact with other companies and trade with other entities on the New York Stock Exchange, but it's a closed ecosystem. The blockchain is very similar um, where you have blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum, which their fundamental value proposition is in decentralization. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum differ in the way that they allow for development on their blockchains. Uh, ultimately, a blockchain is really just a group of addresses and blocks. It's You have your mailmen, which are miners in most cases. Hope soon on Ethereum, it'll be proof of work. Uh, and they're moving mail from one person to another. Ultimately, if you want to move mail from my house to your house, you got to pay the mailman. The mailman is a miner. And they... It takes time to solve these blocks and move transactions from point A to point B. And ultimately, the real reason why you're paying and the real reason why it takes time is because you're paying for decentralization. And the real value in blockchain technology, in my opinion, is this network of distributed ledgers, this realization of decentralization. Because for all these people all over the world, decentralization has never been a possibility for them. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, before the te blockchain technology, you would have to trust your local bank, your local government, whatever it was. You would have to have faith in them because you had no other option. Your only alternative was stuffing cash under your mattress. And that is not a fun reality for most people because they can't trust their local governments. Their local currency has dramatic amounts of inflation. They have governments saying snakes ate over $2 billion in taxpayer money. And these poor people who grew up in these areas who can't afford to leave or aren't allowed to leave are forced to deal with these realities. Cool part about blockchain technology is it enables this trustless, decentralized, permissionless network everywhere in the world, as long as you have internet access. Now, the way, real reason where Bitcoin and Ethereum differ is in smart contracts. Bitcoin recently had this update called Taproot, and it was really cool because it expanded Bitcoin's list of possible functions from I think it was like a few dozen to a few hundred, or maybe a few thousand. And what I mean when I say functions it's a list of what interactions you can use when developing on the Bitcoin blockchain. The really cool thing about Ethereum and smart contracts is it allows you to develop anything you can define by any code. So you're not limited to a set list of functions you can interact with. You can develop anything you can possibly think of. And that's the really cool part about Ethereum. And that's why we're able to create Solana in the first place. Uh, and really, these protocols, these companies, these entities built on the blockchain are that they're really just companies uh, back in 2017 we saw a lot of like really cool niche protocols being de developed on the blockchain and it was like oh that's really cool you can develop this on the blockchain but the real reason why these companies are building on the blockchain is they want their entity their company to be accessible number one by everyone in the world 
And two, they want it to be decentralized. And what that really means ultimately is security. For a lot of these tech companies and a lot of these entities, they have to deal with security risk and concerns in their everyday life. And just because you you build your protocol on the blockchain does not mean it's 100% secure. It all depends on how everything is handled. Ultimately, you're only as secure as your weakest link. But the cool part about all of this is that we can create all these really cool companies that are completely autonomous, that only are based around permissionless nature and user interaction and require no centralized party, no trust in any individual, no trust in any small group, thanks to the blockchain. That's what it really allows. Amazing, amazing. Um, so what, um, I mean, I think you basically have answered my this next question, uh, but maybe you can give us a more um what what attracted you most to building protocols and um i know you kind of mentioned why you started with eth and other layer twos but i figured maybe you could expand on that so what really attracted me to it was honestly just saying that yeah i, I knew that I, I i actually i come from an engineering background i'm a part-time student technically still at northeastern university and I liked engineering, it was fun, but it, it wasn't what I was really passionate about. I got involved in those communities that I told you about early on in 2020. And then I realized that the cryptocurrency space is what I was truly passionate about. What I was really good at was research, knowledge, learning. And I decided, you know what, maybe what I could do best is by helping other people with investing into cryptocurrency. So I, I originally decided that I was going to start my own crypto hedge fund. But I soon realized that not only was I going to need a shit ton of cash in order to keep the doors open, but the only clients I could have would be incredible investors, people who are already multimillionaires. And to me, people who cryptocurrency and decentralization and blockchain wasn't really built for in the first place. So I kind of sat down and I was like, okay, how can I use the blockchain and decentralization to create a product that will help everyone and be able to use my knowledge and my basis to help people all around the world. So originally our idea was to create the world's first network of decentralized hedge funds where anyone could create their own fund and anyone could enter anyone else's to get the same rate of return. Um, my co-founder, Ben, and I came up with the idea for what we call the aggregator, the device we described to you recently, the protocol that we've been describing this whole time, uh, about two months ago, which is obviously a much more innovative product, but that's where it all started. And honestly, the person who's really kept me most passionate about continuing to innovate and continuing to scale and continuing to develop my way of thought and to keep my, my brain open has been my co-founder, Ben Flute. He's been amazing to work with and an absolute godsend. Awesome. I love it. So let's uh, keep going into some of the more of the tech perspective. So um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in, in building um, protocols, but what are some of the challenges of building a decentralized finance protocols and how have you been thinking through overcoming those challenges? That's a great question, Kelly. So ultimately, there's a lot of problems in decentralization because this whole space is so new, right? Smart Ethereum's only existed since 2015. That was really the existence and possibility of smart contracts. It's been seven years. In seven years, Yes, we've tried to decentralize as much as we can, but we haven't been able to decentralize everything. There are really cool, new, innovative protocols coming out every day, right? You have to figure out how you're going to decentralize your API, your website, which is really cool. That's where ENS came in, your API and um, 
uh, your nodes, this is where the pocket network comes in, which is a decentralized database. There's really cool new innovative decentralized protocols coming out every day to figure out how to address and decentralize every single part of an application. Because ultimately, going back to what I was saying before, a protocol or any company in the world is only as strong as their weakest link. And for a DeFi protocol, that's any form of, de- of centralization and your protocol, because that's where you're most likely to see an exploit or a point of failure, whether that's in how well you distributed your governance token. You could have made your governance token very centralized where, you know, you could have, for as an example, one person holding 18%. And the reality of it is, in most of these DAOs and these DeFi protocols, you only see up to 10, 15% of people participating in the first place. So that one person with 18% of the governance tokens could just control the entire protocol, move the vote in whatever direction they wanted, and in theory, do something malicious like drain all the funds in the DAO. So you really have to keep all these things in mind when you're developing a DeFi protocol and ultimately how you're going to communicate with your community, how are you going to integrate new forms of updates and rollbacks and make decisions and consensus and how are you going to decide how you want to distribute equity. But the, our our idea was, how do we keep all this decentralized? And initially, we did an NFT sale. And this was really cool for us because not only was it a front for us to raise money to really kickstart this, but it also allowed us to create this initial decentralized body that could decide and vote on how they thought we should distribute our governance token in the beginning and what percent should go to each category. And they could decide on things like... Um, hey, if they thought certain investment off- offers that we got from VCs were good offers or not, they get a vote on all these things. And the idea for us is, one, it's great because we get real participation for the community. And two, we really want to push forward this ethos of decentralization. Because when you will look at like so-called decentralized protocols today, like Uniswap, ultimately they, were, they weren't quote-unquote decentralized, and they still aren't very decentralized considering you have one person owning 8% of governance tokens today. Uh, in their original inception, because before these protocols are deployed on Ethereum mainnet, before their governance tokens exist, ultimately the creators decide what percent of the supply is going to go to them, what percent is going to go to VCs for 10 cents on the dollar and everything else. We wanted to switch that up a bit, and we wanted to make everything decentralized, not only the consensus layer, not only our smart contracts, but the governance and the control of the protocol itself, we thought should ultimately be in the hands of the user. Makes a lot of sense. Um, And I'm going to ask another follow-up question. So do you think, um, you know, you said one of the challenges is that um, any form of centralization can be a point of exploit on uh, in decentralization, right? Um, Why do you think um, we still haven't, what are some of the reasons do you think people shy away from full de- decentralization versus still having a little bit of centralization in all their decentralized protocols? Like, why do you think that is? It is largely fear, right? Because everyone's afraid, yes, if I decentralize my governance, this and that, what if there's an exploit here and the DAO has to vote to freeze this or to move these funds and it's going to take a week, we're not going to have enough time to drain these funds. 
ultimately decentralization isn't for everyone not every country company and entity and protocol in the world should be decentralized it is very much on an application to application basis it's just really important that when you're designing these protocols that you always plan for the worst case scenario that you always design for failure and ultimately us as individuals we have our own forms of bias we think we have our own ideas of where there's going to be failure or where the weakest point is but you have to also include a third party and i i can't stress this enough for us we hired trail of vets they were amazing i suggest them a thousand times over because they came in and found exploits we never would have even been able to think of just because our protocol is decentralized doesn't mean it's exploit proof because these smart contracts are ultimately code they will do exactly what they're designed to do they will accept whatever inputs they are designed to accept and at the end of the day we haven't designed these contracts for everything we have possibly thought of there will be all sorts of different interactions and user formats and outputs and inputs and and uh data forms of integration that we haven't even dreamed of and it's really important that you work with these third parties because they really think of these things they're professionals at thinking outside the box and thinking of how they can exploit these contracts because the the real scary part of decentralization is what i was explaining before is if you do have a significant issue it could take you weeks to even get to the point where you could even address anything about it and likely at that point all the damage has been done yeah yeah it makes sense um i'm gonna also let everybody know in the audience to start thinking of some questions to ask max um, so start thinking through some things. Um, this is your chance to ask somebody who is deep and a big, uh, I will call an OG <laughs> in the whole uh, protocol and decentralization space. So make sure to think through, think of some really great questions to ask him. Um, also, make sure to stay to the end um, where we will also talk about um, how you guys can redeem that unstoppable domains $50 credit. So you can start to get um take advantage of the best parts of web3 all right so another question i want to ask you so a lot of people want to work or start in on something in web3 and decentralization but they don't think that they have any relevant skills or they might not feel technical enough um what would you what would be some advice to them so actually like the way i really started is by being a Discord moderator. And before that, it was just by being a community member. And really, it's just, I got into communities I really liked. I really loved the people there. I loved the energy there. And maybe I didn't understand the product at 100%, but that's okay. You don't need to. Not everyone's at that, that point in time. And nor should anyone expect anyone to be. It's all We're all learning here. Every single one of us are actively learning. So what I did is I just got extremely involved and active in the conversation in these communities I really wanted to be a part of. And when I thought the time was right, I reached out to, you know, a moderator or someone higher up, asked if I could be a moderator, volunteered to contribute my time for free, got ingrained in that community. And then, you know, what? as time went on, I, vo I volunteered to, you know, read articles, publish information, do this, that, and the next. And then they brought me up into the team. And it's really about and anything you do in life, how can you scale yourself? How, how can you establish yourself? How can you build your brand as an individual? And for me, yes, that's a great way to do it if you have a specific community you want to get involved in. But one of the absolute best things you could ever do for yourself is build your brand as an individual because you can take that anywhere you go, no matter where you work in your life, you always have your brand. And if you establish a brand around your name, that's something extremely impressive that no one is going to ignore. So 
my, in my opinion, the best way to do it is by coming up into Twitter spaces like this, meeting people like Kelly, connecting with the right people, but really go into a random Twitter space, request to speak. If it's a conversation you're interested in and you feel like you can contribute something to the talk, don't get up there to shell. Get up there to talk, to join the conversation, to make friends, to build these genuine connections. And when you build these connections one by one, before you know it, you'll have 15 plus thousand followers. And that's what it's really about. At the end of the day, there's always something you can do. There's always momentum you can build around yourself or around your brand. You can always get into that random room filled with random people and join the conversation. It's all up to you at the end of the day. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. So I see we have uh, two folks who want to ask a question. We'll start with Akil, and then we'll go to Antonio after, right after that. All right, so Akil, can you hear me? Hey, yeah, I can hear you. Uh, hey, su super cool space. Uh, maybe I have a question. Um, so I don't know if it's for you or her, uh, Crypto Jesus here, but what do you see about, uh, do you have any insight on companies that sort of start in this like Web 2.5 space and then sort of decentralize uh, over time, decentralize their protocol over time? Uh, have you been seeing any like uh, successful existing companies doing this? Because I know a lot of companies are trying, but um, in the end, they're sort of regular corporate interests, uh, you know, like I guess shareholder interests, right? And that's fine. Uh, sort of trump the you know the desire to decentralize further i'll take this one um kelly if you want to take it i would love to hear your comments this this is all about you I, i'll let uh max answer the question <laughs> okay so i was actually at um an mit conference yesterday and um, there was a lot of like Web 2.5 companies and protocols there. And a lot of them are, are trying to establish more of a niche service. Like one of them, for example, was this company called Moss. And what they do is they basically scrape all the information between everyone's favorite Discord channels and everyone's favorite Twitters and put all the information that you need to know about the NFT groups you want to be a part of or the crypto groups you want to be a part of in one central location and really filter out the crap for you. Because I know I personally as I'm sure thousands of other people are more lurkers and discords than anything else. And I really only mainly visit a, maybe a handful of discords, right? No one has the time to go through all these discords to read through all their announcements and figure out what's going on. This company called Moss, they scrape all that information, refine it, put calendar dates in for you. They make it all organized and pretty genius idea. Web 2.5. There are a bunch of other companies doing the same thing, whether it's onboarding current, Web2 companies into the NFT space and being that on-ramp, whether it's just helping them with the technical expertise or advice or legislation, whatever it is, it exists. And it is very much a service that's going to have more desirability in the next few year, years than any Web3-based protocol, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, cool, man. That's a really good answer. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, maybe one more. Shit, why not, right? <laughs> if we have the time. Um, yeah, like, what do you, what do you guys see uh, setting precedents for more like lawsuits that are coming in, down the line? 
for or not lawsuits, maybe just precedents in general, right? Because I guess the traditional way of thinking over the last 30 years of like e-commerce businesses, right? Or maybe just business in general, right? It's it's you've got yourself the business and you've got yourself the customer, right? And with NFTs now, uh, it, it, the way I sort of explain it to people who aren't really familiar, it's like now you've got this like middle layer of this like pseudo stakeholder who has in the eyes of the law, no actual, uh, I, I guess like no actual holding or stake in the company itself, right? So for example, for, for my project, and I'm, and I'm not gonna shill or anything, but in my project, I, I, I appointed a backup project lead because I know that in case anything goes, I get hit, I get hit by a bus or something, uh, the company would be fine. Like the assets would be given back to the st stakeholders, but the NFT pass would go to zero. So somebody needs to be there to ensure continuity. So that's like not a legally protected way, but a, a way that I'm sort of thinking to protect other, like my, like the NFT pass holders. So do you see legal stuff being done to protect NFT pass holders to create a sort of new class of like pseudo stakeholders or also customers or no? Yeah, there's actually a leak drafted bill of some proposed future crypto regulation. And you actually, maybe you wouldn't be surprised of how strict it's going to look. Obviously, none of it's definite. A lot of this will probably be dropped out or maybe lessened in harshness. But for example, all these entities and corporations who have created uh, an entity for the DAO overseas, but they're operating out of the United States or they live out of the U.S., they as an individual are financially and fiscally responsible for every single action that the DAO takes, which obviously we would see thousands of people in jail instantly. Um, so there, there's all sorts of crazy things going on. And you could set up systems like if you really wanted to that are more decentralized where god forbid you do pass away you could have a smart contract disperse the assets back to your nft holders just as an example but then again if you're giving assets directly to your nft holders then your security technically i'm not a lawyer do not take anything i say as legal or financial advice this is all just rough suggestions but anyway you get the point right it's all complicated it's all murky water no one really knows the best answers but the best thing you can do for yourself is by making clear distinctions and by separating any form of monetary or financial gratification from any NFTs or cryptocurrency or anything else you're selling. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. On that point, my lawyer, I have conversations with my lawyer all the time and he's like, dude, you can't have this language. Even like the implication, even like the perception of like impropriety, whatever the word is, uh, of potentially even brushing up against SEC laws uh, and regulation. He's just like, dude, we don't want to deal with that. So I had to take everything down and I got to re rephrase everything. Yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, Akil... Um, the government will definitely be coming after people. I've, obviously, they're going to go after the big leaks first. Right now, they're already prosecuting, you know, large NFT scammers, very, very large, very significant ones only. But this will come. And they want to make examples out of people. And ultimately, it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be kind. It's not going to be pretty. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you can be made an example out of because they don't give a fuck about you or where you're from or what your background is or how your stance in society looks. They just want to wipe your face against the concrete and make everyone realize that they're going to have to suck up to the fucking government. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for coming to the stage and asking a question. Um, 
I have, um, before I go to Antonio and Kilroy, I actually have some folks who um, ask questions via text. Um, so Bitcoin Bear Club asks, hey guys, will it be possible to provide liquidity for an NFT collection? Meaning there is a buyer waiting to buy the NFT from the seller and vice versa. Seller could sell immediately. So yes, that is possible. Um, but the way it would really work is it would have to be done with a fractionalized NFT uh, because there's no real incentive to provide direct liquidity. Otherwise, you could do a liquidity pool for the swapping of an NFT to an NFT. Uh, you could also do one that's essentially just like a WEATH. You guys know what WEATH offers are, I'm, I'm sure. But if you don't, you've probably seen them on OpenSea where people tend to offer like 20% floor floor on these higher value collections to buy an NFT instantly. It'd be something similar to that where people would be sacrificing part of the value in exchange for instant liquidity uh, because at the end of the day, NFTs are non-fungible assets. They're illiquid just like real estate is. And if you want to get the best price, you're going to have to be looking for a specific individual. Um, if you want liquid, you got to pay for the price of liquid. But the really cool part is you could do the fractionalization of an NFT and trade like partials of an NFT within a liquidity pool. But we've seen the same problem with fractionalized NFTs where they tend to trade like in the spread of 5 to 20% less than floor slash market value, largely because the utility that was once associated with that NFT is no longer viable as the NFT is locked up into a smart contract. Awesome. So I hope that was good. Bitcoin bear clubs. <laughs> All right. The second question I have um, from MetaMask, OX.coin. Is it possible to play a video file movie if it is stored on the IPFS? And I'm assuming that's the interplanetary file system. So I actually don't know too much about IPFS. So I can't answer this question 100%, but it's definitely possible. Like, Maybe you can't do it with IPFS, but you could probably do it with like an R-Weave. I'd be surprised, though, if you could do it with IPFS, but I can't comment with 100% certainty. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, now we'll head over to Antonio. Let's bring you to the stage. Hey, hey, thanks so much, Kelly. And um, wow, this is um, a really cool space, as always. Thanks, everybody, for your questions. Um, Max, very, very good sage advice. Um, I know you're you're not a lawyer, but um, just at a default practical level, what you're saying can be transferable to a lot of stuff. So, so thanks for that. That's super awesome. Um, second, I wanted to say, yeah, thanks again for um, being so transparent and thorough in your breakdown on, you know, how you're doing things at Solon Labs um, and why you're doing things. Um, I think it's very important now, um, especially um, in the current market that we're in, I think it builds trust at a time where um, a lot of people can be a little bit worried. Um, so, yeah, I think at one point, if you um, aren't planning on writing a book, maybe you should. Maybe I can throw that in as a, a, as a question in addition to the one I'm about to ask you. But um, your thorough breakdown is very much appreciated and it's um, very informative and insightful. Um, so thanks for that. And, um, I also think it's super cool that you, uh, you, you, you admitted and shared with us that, um, you kind of came in at first, um, through the interest that was peaked from your brother and it kind of started off with a financial incentive and then it kind of grew into, um, problem solving at scale, uh, with Ben. 
And then uh, from there, um, you partnered up and, and you're doing great things. So um, having said all of that, my question is regarding the Solon ecosystem. Um, everything from the protocol, the governance, um, the aggregator, you mentioned in the beginning that you started off with kind of like a DeFi, I guess, approach to what you're building. And it really did evolve into more things that you can scale um, with kind of like this ecosystem mindset where um, you're going to be solving and bringing a lot of things to fruition with what you're building. I was curious to know, um, did you go in thinking about what, Solon can truly become and did it come from insights that you gleaned through you know the beginning of building Solon oh Antonio that's a first off it's great to meet you and thank you for all the compliments I like this goes for everyone by the way my DMs are always open if anyone has any questions blah 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 whatever I love to talk to people if you can't tell I talk a lot but Antonio to be honest with you man um ben so i was actually i was on a trip i was in switzerland ben messages me he's like oh i got this really cool dream blah 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 and i had this idea and it's like i'm gonna use account abstraction and a few other things to allow for this i'm like cool 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 that's like super cool like we're gonna see all sorts of new forms of transactions but we didn't really come up with the idea with a problem in mind to solve it just came to Ben as like, oh, it'd be cool if I could do this using this. And but he got a lot of the idea from a paper that Vitalik Buterin wrote and some articles he wrote about account abstraction. And he kind of he had a very large focus on it. He did a lot of development work with it, but he paused it to mainly focus and move and continue to work on Ethereum 2.0. Obviously, he's been quite busy with that. But the real truth is we didn't even realize like the real capabilities of the aggregator. Until we took the time to sit down and be like, okay, what can we, this technology is cool and all, but what can we really do with it? Uh, and at first, that's where we realized, oh, we can probably have a decent reduction in gas fees. And then we we're like, oh, wait, this is going to allow us, we can structure the ecosystem in this way with the incorporation of bundlers to remove the requirement for users to hold ETH. Actually, if we're lucky, users can not only get 100% reduction in gas, you know, we did all the math and everything, but they can actually make money while trading too, depending on how much profit the bundler makes on these trades. So it was really just like going through and really thinking and analyzing. But ultimately, we have no clue what the full capabilities of the aggregator are. Everything we've portrayed to you are just our interpretations of what we think its most valuable translation will be. Really, it's just we created something and then we're like, oh, shit is this actually going to be useful or not? And then, you know, obviously we realized that it was going to be really cool, but it's, it's interesting because a lot of these amazing ideas, you can just tweak a few things. It's ultimately in this decentralized space with the way smart contracts work. It's not so much about the code. It's about the organization. How can you organize or reframe these protocols in a certain way that'll allow for a more desirable output. And for us, right. Like you see platforms like Immutable X that are really cool that allow for, you know, gasless transactions on their layer two and remove the requirement for users to hold ETH to allow for that same seamless integration. But they pay the cost for gas on behalf of the user. Ultimately, everything in the world, right? If you don't know where the yield comes from, you're the yield. So for us, we're like, okay, what party in the world would be willing to pay gas fees on users' behalf 
that was a hard question. It took some thought, but then we realized, oh my God, if, if we could give arbitrage traders, it's like a deal, right? We're offering them a deal. You guys get a front on liquidity. You don't even need to use your own liquidity. You can use this liquidity and it'll actually, it's not even like a loan because you're only using it when you can prove that you can execute a transaction and be profitable executing that transaction. And you cover the gas fees on behalf of the user. Everyone makes money. Everyone's happy. And it's, it's really, it's first you got to think about, sure, it's great to have a problem in mind. Then if you, if you recognize a problem, how can I solve this problem? What would really help the user at the end of the day? If I remove this, this, that, and the next thing, great. Well, that may seem impossible, but if, if you think about it in depth, you'd be surprised what you can do by reorganizing things. Uh, and ultimately, I think that's what a lot of DeFi really comes down to is organization of these protocols. Wow. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, I, you're asking the right questions. Like you said, it was a, it's, it's a hard question to ask, um, but I think your approach with, you know, how can it help the end user is kind of like reverse engineering, right? Like, I'm not an engineer, but I'm, I know I'm speaking to an engineering student. Uh, it, it, it's very enlightening to, to learn your thinking process about that. And I'm looking, at, I'm looking forward to seeing what I, what you all do. And um, when you do decide to write a book, uh, be sure to let us know. Hop in the spaces again. Uh, I know Kelly does it every week, and uh, you definitely got got someone who's um, looking forward to to purchasing your 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 book when you finally do write it. So thanks for that. Antonio, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And anytime, man, feel free to hit me up. For sure. Thanks much. Awesome. So thank you so much for your question, Antonio. We'll do Kilroy and then we'll do Andres right after Kilroy. Hello, guys. Good day to you. Good day to you, Kelly. And uh, good day to you, uh, Crypto Jesus of Salon Labs and uh, to the rest of the uh, of the uh, attendees of the uh, of this uh, Twitter space. Uh, good day to you. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for uh, explaining everything in an LE5 format there, uh, Crypto Jesus. So uh, right now, uh, in my opinion, the real FUD out there is uh, is uh, when uh, the SAC or the government agencies step into and uh, make these uh, regulations uh, have an impact on, uh, on the space in general. So... Uh, what are the significant or uh, let's say uh, what are the safeguards in place uh, right now at the moment uh, significantly uh, uh, with regards to DeFi projects? Because uh, it will change everything once the government steps in. And uh, I think uh, one of these uh, that will be greatly affected is how, this, how smart contracts work. So, uh, yeah, uh, if you can give us insight into uh, what what will be expected in the near future with regards to uh, DeFi projects and uh, with regards to your project also. Kilroy, That's all. Thank you. Thank you for the question. It's great to meet you. Uh, but that is a really good question. Sadly, I do not have all the answers. We are very fortunate at Solon where we don't require any of our own liquidity. Since we use the entire blockchain as liquidity source, uh, like Uniswap, Balancer, Bancor, et cetera, that removes a lot of potential liability for us. Ultimately, this whole thing is a fat gray zone. No one knows what they're going to regulate and how they're going to regulate it. But ultimately, in any sort of design or ecosystem structure, you should plan for the worst. And what these economies and governments are really going to care about is, are you managing money? 
right? Where's the risk for the consumer? And another thing too, I, I'd like to know is that the, the U.S. government, especially Congress right now, they hate the SEC. Uh, the SEC has kind of got off the rails. Um, yeah. They've become like an, a very much of an a-hole organization. They like to joke yeah. about them literally like <laughs> on live TV and roast yeah. shit out of them. And ultimately, they're, they're just like a civil regulatory organization. They can really only issue fines. At the end of the day, it's really going to be up to the government. And thankfully, they've, they've taken a, a fairly positive position, to my surprise, of where they want to become more educated on the space. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, regulation coming very soon, especially in the stablecoin space after what happened with Terra Luna, um, yeah. which obviously wasn't really a stablecoin to begin with. But the, the idea was, right, they have to protect consumers. And what really happened yeah. there is consumers were chanting on what I'm sure most people noticed were unsustainable yields, but people thought it was sustainable because they were marketed as a stable coin. The reality of it is Terra Luna was able, never a stable coin. It was an algo coin pegged to yeah. the value of the US dollar, right? It was yeah. meant to simulate the value of the US dollar, but this wasn't properly communicated to consumers, nor was the risk. And we saw a $50 billion fallout Plenty of people killed themselves. Plenty of people lost their life savings. It was terrible. And this is why regulation is honestly very important. I see regulation as a bullish indicator for the space because not only does that mean that the space is becoming significant enough for the government to take a larger position on and the, the regulatory mindset, but also at the end of the day, right, if we can come to mutual agreement that this is all about protecting consumers, the whole point in the existence of decentralization in the first place is about removing the need to trust any individual or group of individuals yeah. and too many of these protocols although they are on the blockchain aren't really permissionless aren't really trustless they have many parts of their ecosystem that may be very centralized or maybe it could just be that the structure of their ecosystem is really destined to fail like terra luna but these concerns aren't really pushed enough they're really highlighted enough and they're blanketed because in my opinion of lack of lack of regulation in the space yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, right, uh, right there, uh, it blew my mind that uh, uh, regulations uh, is uh, really uh, a welcome part of the space, since uh, it will protect the interest of the end users. So yeah, uh, looking forward to uh, having uh, another sessions with you. And uh, I'm, uh, I am, uh, I will be researching more about Solon Labs and uh, what. Uh, what uh what's the uh what's the significant things it can bring to the space thank you very much thank you Kilray. it was great to meet you awesome thank you now andres come to the stage and ask your question hello how are you thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on the stage my name is andres i'm 19 years old basically just wanted to share with you guys that uh, I've been joining a lot of spaces and people are making fun of me because I have a sick father. He had a heart attack and I don't have money for his medications and his surgery. I've been going to Twitter spaces and asking for donations and people were laughing at me figured out that you guys are such nice people. So I said to myself, why not go up? Even though I'm very shy and I'm very sorry. 
and ask if anyone can help me with anything because just his medications cost around five hundred dollars. I'm sorry that um I will say that um you know just shoot us a DM after the spaces and we can we can talk offline. Um but thank you for coming to this stage. I'm so sorry that um, you're going through these challenges with your family. Um, but, you know, and I'm sorry that people have not been at so kind to your challenges as well. So um, this is a safe Thank space. Thank you, my dear friend. I just want to say that I even posted a video of the situation. Mm-hmm. I wish if I can pin it, there is my ETH address there also. Yeah. Um not, I, not at this time, but like I said, you can send us a DM and then we can chat about it more offline. But thank you for coming to the stage and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Um, so thank you so much. Um, just wanted to um, add another um, quick question. And if there's anybody else who wants a question, they can come to the stage as well. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, Max, where did the, this is a random question, why the name um, Solon? Um, I wanted to know if there was any story behind the name. Um, and then the second thing is, is there anything new on the roadmap that you want to share today with the audience or anything about what's coming next? Or, and then lastly, I want to end with an ask, how can the audience support you in your mission moving forward? Um. Kelly, that's a good question. Every once in a while, someone asks us, and I'm really excited when they do. So Solon was actually the founder of the world's first, well, one of the founders of the world's first democracies in Athens. The really cool part about Solon himself is he actually used his personal wealth to annul the debts of every Athenian citizen. They're undergoing a terrible economic crisis at the time. Um, And every Athenian citizen that, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, I, I... I stumbled a little bit, but anyway, um, all the Athenian citizens that were, <coughs> Jesus, my bad, all the Athenian citizens that were turned into slaves, sent abroad and domestic. He freed them all and had them sent home and returned to their families. So for us, it was not only like enabling users to have control over their own finances, but it was really a, a center around democracy and really creating something that I feel like no one ever talks about Solon that we could kind of like, um, I forget the word for it, but like we're creating it as a, a thank you basically to everything he did back in the day. Uh, you know, he was a, one of the founders of the world's first democracy, which obviously democracy is a keynote to every part of every benefit we have here in the free world and what we are all very fortunate for. So it, it's more of a, a thank you. I love it. You know, I saw um, when I went to, I think it was their white paper. I saw there was some like Greek um, imagery. And so that's why I decided to ask because I didn't know what the story was <laughs> behind the name. Um, but I figured there was a story there. Um, and then also, is there anything um, coming up? Any new um, any new alpha that you can share to get folks excited that maybe you haven't shared somewhere else yet? <laughs> I always like to get the first scoop of, you know, maybe what's coming up next for you. So we will officially be a legal entity, apparently, in the next 24 hours with the U.S. government, um, which is fun. And also, uh, we're, we uh, received some 
investment offers from uh, a few VC firms. And um, we're our community will be hearing from which firms and how much money and exactly what they're offering sometime in the next week to maybe two weeks. And everyone will get to vote on the offer. Love it. Love it. Um, and then also what's the best way that the audience can support you? Um, honestly, like I just, I love to connect with people. It's anything, but as an individual, always do whatever's in your best interest. And if if something is designed well, it should it should appeal to your better nature, right? It should appeal to you if you have no vested interest in the protocol itself. Things should be seamless, things should be user-friendly, and things should have value to the individual. Uh, ultimately, you can just support us by hopping into our Discord, which is in my bio, giving us a follow, giving me a follow, the Solon account, staying up to date. But ultimately, we would just love to connect with you guys. If anyone has ever has any questions, wants to learn more, would like to be connected with good development spaces, whatever it is, I would love to help. And thank you so much for hosting this, Kelly. You you are an absolute amazing host. I I didn't I didn't know you did this before, but I'm going to be turning in every week. And I got to give a shout out to Donate Celebrate for connecting the two of us. He is amazing. A fire energy, good energy in this room. And I appreciate everyone. Thank you. Oh, definitely. You know, I appreciate you. Thank you, Don't Hate Celebrate, for connecting us. And for those of you guys who tuned in and, and stuck around, um, I have a surprise for you or a gift. Um, so make sure um, in order to get this, your $50 Unstoppable Domains um, NFT domain credit, uh, make sure to DM Blue Studios Labs, which is in this space right now. Um, and when you DM us and let us know that you attended this space, we will go ahead and give you your unique promo code and also send you directions on how to redeem your Unstoppable Domains credit. Um, so again, I want to thank Max uh, for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for attending. Um, again, thank you for coming to NFTs for Good. We're a weekly Twitter space. We're all about highlighting the builders and founders in the crypto, NFT, and Web3 space. As I mentioned, we do this at least once a week. Um, the next upcoming shows that we'll be doing are around digital asset and crypto inheritance. So we'll be talking about solutions around that. Um, we'll also be talking about Web3 family um, vaults. So how can we um, have more control over our healthcare data on chain? Um, and then we'll also be talking about social wallets as well. So those are some previews of some of our upcoming topics in the next few weeks. Um, but you can always uh, follow me, follow Blue Studios Labs, or you can check out our upcoming shows at bluestudios.io backslash NFTs dash for good. So thanks again, everyone. Really appreciate people tuning in. Um, basically on your weekend <laughs> and thank you Max for coming in I know you're super busy launching and speaking all 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 of a number of places um, so thanks again for tuning in and I'll see everybody next week bye everybody